to the Take 5 podcast series from Fortinet. You give us a few minutes and we provide five cybersecurity insights based on the current trends impacting today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team, focusing us on the challenges leaders will face in the upcoming year across key industries and technologies. I'm your host, Jim Richberg, Fortinet's Field CISO for the public sector. And today I'm talking with my colleague and friend, Jonathan Wynn, Fortinet's Field CISO for Strategic Services, about managed service providers and how they should prepare for the year ahead. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me here. So before we get into our discussion, Jonathan, can you explain to our audience who managed service providers' customers are, and then talk about the challenge that was at the top of mind for the CISOs in these companies in 2022 in terms of cybersecurity? Yeah, so CISOs uh, in service provider organizations face a, a very unique set of circumstances. One, they've got to provide security for their internal enterprises, which are critical national infrastructure, which are under constantly being probed and being attacked. But at the same time, uh, they've got to stay relevant in a marketplace to provide managed security services and network services uh, to a bewildering array of SMB mid-market and enterprise customers. I, I think the unique challenge of service provider CISOs is that just about everybody in the marketplace now realizes that security isn't a DL- DIY exercise. And so they, they have a unique perch from where they sit. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, no two of us have the same job, and I think yours is particularly challenging in that sense. Yeah. And so, when when you look at their their challenges, you know what I'm seeing is a combination of two things, both old and new. Uh, the older things you and I have been been tackling since day one. You know, the 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 known knowns and the known unknowns. Right? <laughs> We're talking right. about uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures that the adversaries already know. We're talking about. Uh, malware and viruses that have all, already been identified. We're talking about vulnerabilities that have already been identified, for which there are signatures, but we're still missing those basic, those simple intermediate controls. And we're still talking about, you know, 20, going 26 years into my career, we're still talking about asset management, configuration management, vulnerability management, security awareness training, right? And now yeah. we're also talking about uh, the emerging stuff, the, the, the finally, the more ubiquitous implementation of zero trust. And I think it speaks to a broader challenge right now, which is, you know, that just about everybody is looking for a single source of truth, because at the heart of what we're all doing, this notion of data-driven decision-making, this attempt to be more proactive and predictive, it depends upon having a high-fidelity single source of truth. And so I think uh, amongst all those challenges, the known knowns, the known unknowns, I think the biggest challenge is still visibility and complexity, this idea that unless we get to a point where we really have confidence that we've gathered all the information, I think we're still going to be questioning whether we've made the right decisions or not, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all about the data. I mean, I've said for a long time, the biggest problem in cybersecurity is not people, process, or technology, it's metrics. We have real trouble measuring cause and effect. We have real trouble measuring magnitude of threat. So (laughs) this is not an easy business. No, no. I, I think that's the hardest challenge is that how, what's your level of confidence that what you're seeing is accurate? And in doing that, how confident are you that your mitigation steps are the right ones, right? So I, I it still plagues us to this day. So if you, let's put yourself in the position of, of the CISO of one of your managed service providers. Yeah. How's this challenge going to play out in 2023? 
Yeah, so it's pretty interesting right now. So if you're an MSSP or an MSP right now, you know, in the mid-market, you're dealing with customers who are realizing that it's no longer their business to actually own the infrastructure, let alone the platforms or to organically develop the software. Uh, they're going through a digital transformation whereby you're seeing the vast majority of business processes becoming digitized. In fact, you're seeing a very dramatic shift in the source of value creation in mid-market and enterprise businesses, whereby you're shifting away from manufacturing to really innovation and software. And so for the service provider, it's twofold. How do they stay relevant, right? If you're a mid-market MSP in, in the channel, how do you stay relevant as your customers are moving into the cloud? If you're an enterprise customer, how do you maintain for those enterprise customers those higher-end services, things like managed detection and response, uh, extended detection and response, uh, threat intelligence services, threat hunting services, sockets of service. So I, I think it's a twofold area. How do I go forth and maintain my own security? But then how do I maintain enough capability to be relevant for my customers as they go through their own transformation? And fundamentally, I think we're seeing a shift from quality of of service to quality of experience. There's this idea now that quality of experience equals better business outcomes. And so the focus now is how do I deliver consistent performance across networking, security, and the compute, if you will, to deliver a continuously responsive computing experience that leads to those better, not only business, but mission outcomes, right? And so I think the challenge has evolved now for 2023 is so dramatically different than where we were five, six years ago is this idea that if we need to make near real-time decisions across networking, security, and compute, we really can't operate in those traditional silos. I mean, there's a it, it's reflected in the Gartner, Gartner um, cyber mesh architecture concept, right. but it's also reflecting in the idea that you know the problems we face and the adversaries we encounter don't come to us in silos, right? but right. we but we operate in silos. So our tools, our platforms, our cultures, our organizations are siloed, but yet our problems aren't. And so I, I think those challenges are evolving into some of the trends that that we're going to discuss next. Yeah, yeah, and this is why I say uh, the CISO's job now is not primarily technical. It's it's yeah. they they are uh, partner focused. You know, it's really about it's about outcome. It's not about the technology. But and I think you've touched on this a lot already, Jonathan. But looking into this year, what challenges do you see moving up on the list as the important ones that the CISOs need to focus on? Well, I think it's what you just said there. It's this idea that security needs to shift left, but also shift out. So the idea that security shouldn't be bolted on is nothing new, but the idea that security shouldn't begin at the point when a piece of software goes into production is key. The idea that security should be part of the software development lifecycle throughout that continuous integration, continuous integration um, uh, methodology, right? This whole notion of digitized business processes so that security is not only shifted left before the detonation, if you will, but also outwards across the enterprise. And so you're seeing the rise of things like the business information security officer, this idea that, that the CIO and the CISO and the CSO's office really should work together, right? Um, but I think the big challenges moving forward beyond what we've discussed are, are a couple of emerging things. One, digital sovereignty, because I think that privacy regulations and standards are now going to be much more ubiquitous, you know, starting off with GDPR, but following in its footsteps with the California Consumer Privacy Act and the, the national and, and global standards that are followed. Those are big concerns um, because it's all about data. As we said, it's about using data, data-driven decision-making, leveraging big data, you know, 
So in, after digital sovereignty, because there are compliance requirements around that, can you demonstrate that you are a good corporate steward of data, right? Can you demonstrate that you have collected, curated, analyzed, stored, and utilized data in a compliant fashion per those regulations we just spoke to? And so that's why digital sovereignty is going to emerge as a huge issue for just about every enterprise, but especially for service providers, because they span multiple regions around the world. Next is AI ethics, is, is that as you use big data to make these, these data arbitrage decisions, to be more proactive and predictive in our decision making, to deliver more responsive computing and better user experiences, how are you going about leveraging AI? And can you demonstrate an ethical approach around that? And that's why we're seeing the rise of chief privacy officers and chief trust officers. Um, and then the last thing uh, emerging is just privacy as a whole, because now data because data now is currency. I think data, as we said, is the most valuable thing for, for the coming century. And once you have data, you monetize that <coughs> data, it has value because now data has to be stored in, in, in a compliant manner, in an ethical manner. But you also have to be able to demonstrate to the owner, the individual consumer, the connected citizen, that, that his or her data is actually being collected and stored in an ethical fashion. But you also may have to be able to demonstrate that you've destroyed or ported that data per their request, right? And so the minute you begin to structure data, you add value to it. So I think we're all going to be grappling with this notion of data value and the privacy issues as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I read an Atlantic Council report recently that started off by saying the era of the global internet is dead, uh, and then it and then it went on to yeah. say things like yeah. data is a, is an asset, big yeah. data is a strategic asset. So yeah. this is very relevant to the the conversations and the challenges you're seeing your CISOs grapple with. Yeah, I think one of the things we're seeing right now is the idea that your data is intellectual property and each customer's data is their intellectual property and that you have to be a steward of that intellectual property. And once it's property, there's a value associated with that. So I think we're beginning to see uh, the emergence of, of data as a currency of the 21st century. And, and yet when people add value to it by curating it in yep. bulk, then who owns what? what is the value proposition and how does ownership yeah, there you it, go. it's an interesting set of challenges, John. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you're talking with uh, with CISOs in in managed services, what are the overlooked strategies or solutions that you think would be really relevant or or helpful yeah. to them? I mean, what yeah. are the things where you want to say, "Hey, uh, let's we're having this conversation, but you should really be looking yeah. over the horizon at filling." I well, I I you know I think we just had that conversation about looking across and, and over the on the edge of the horizon, seeing what's emerging, but. At the same time, I would say, hey, don't don't forget what we've been trying to do for the last 25 years. <laughs> I say one demonstration of reasonable care is the ability to demonstrate that you've addressed the known knowns. I mean, if you can't address the known malware, the known vulnerabilities, right, the things that are that are mitigate through simple intermediate controls, I would worry about that first as a demonstration of reasonable care before I start working about the the more advanced threats, right? So I still say, don't take your eye off of those simple intermediate controls, you know, properly configured devices, asset management, patching, the virtual patching capabilities of a next generation firewall, I think is one of the most underappreciated things that the CISOs could be doing. Um, but yeah, so I would say, keep a balance between the known knowns and the known unknowns, because you're more likely to be popped by a known known than a known unknown at this point. Yeah, in but, other words, yeah. it's it, it's avoiding the shiny object syndrome. 
Yeah. Oh, this is sexy. I want to go after this. Like, well, wait a minute. You're not doing the basics. Why are we talking about adding varsity level techniques when you don't even have inventory control and asset management? And yeah. 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 So I always look at one of the leading indicators is is the trajectory of cybercrime. When I start seeing the barriers entry and, and the cost going up, then I begin seeing, okay, now let's begin focusing on the more advanced threats as well. Focus. I still haven't seen that on a universal level yet. Yeah. So so we'll we'll end on talking about threat. So we'll talk about something like reconnaissance. So yeah. how is the shift to more disruptive cyber threats at scale causing yeah. the organizations you talk to to want to consider more active defensive yeah. strategies? Yeah. So I, I think there's also an admission that due to the level of complexity in our legacy environments, the box sprawl, right, that, that we've inherited or built inadvertently. You know, we also have to take on more active measures. So not only signature and behavioral based detection, but really beginning to shift left and shift out to be more proactive and more predictive. So throughout the uh, software development lifecycle, using things like 40 uh, SecDev, the ability to look at code in development before it ever goes into production to identify vulnerabilities and mitigate that is one way of doing it. The other aspect, of course, is using things like uh, our 40 recon capability, our external attack surface monitoring capability, the brand monitoring, looking into the dark web and seeing if anyone is asking about your brand, offering information about your brand. Then, of course, within our own environments, using decoys um, to set up honeypots and honey nets, understanding that the, the network is very porous and that you know the assumption is you've already been breached. And if you've already been breached, you know, are you able to identify as the threat actors begin attacking other elements of your network? Can you identify the lateral movement? Are you putting out those decoys and honeypots and so that you can you can um, target those types of attacks? But also at the same time, can you gather that and share that data and use that type of threat intelligence? So not only yourself, but the larger community. And that's that's what we strive to do in our in our products at, at, in Fortinet Security Fabric, right? Yeah, you know, you can't protect yourself against a threat that you don't understand and that you can't detect. I know it's, it's... <laughs> Just full of good <laughs> news this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this has been a great conversation, Jonathan. And uh, my thanks to the audience for joining us for this episode of Take 5. For more information about what we do with managed service providers, visit our website, www.fortinet.com front slash communications dash service dash provider. The Take 5 podcast is brought to you by Fortinet, securing your digital acceleration with the performance and scale needed to detect and prevent threats across an organization's entire infrastructure, including networks, endpoints, and cloud.